Welcome to another edition of Liberation Station with Chris Steiner. I'm your host, and today we have a very special edition of Liberation Station speaking about um, private monetary systems, uh, local monetary systems. Our numbers to call in are local here in Pinellas, 727-441-3000, toll-free, 1-866-826-1340. It's 866-TAN-1340. The all-tell-free call is star-1340. First, starting out this evening, we have James E. Buddy Hooper, or Buddy Hooper, with us here in the studio. He's the founder and president and CEO of Orange Bee Private Monetary System, Incorporated. Buddy Hooper's first memories are of his mother and father working side-by-side on their farm in a small East Texas town. He was bewildered when they took their produce to the market. His blue eyes still light up as he talks about those days. It was his still his first look at the business world, and uh, after re- relocating to Orange, Texas, and working at a shipyard, Buddy's parents pursued the American dream and opened a grocery store. Wanting a better future for their son, they encouraged him to continue his education. Buddy enrolled in the University of Houston, majoring in business administration while working full-time at Sears, Roebuck & Company. After college, Buddy joined the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. He later left Goodyear, founded JMB Tire and Appliance, and pursued his own American dream. As his business knowledge grew, so did his business holdings, which came to include a chain of tire stores, nationally distributed magazine, restaurants, publishing companies, record label, artist management firm, newspapers, dance halls, motels, service stations, chemical manufacturing, boat building, video dating services, etc. During this time, Buddy faithfully continued his education and eventually became a business consultant specializing in areas of marketing, sales, and efficiency management. Under, uh, under his entrepreneur and business person credentials, uh, he's been a speaker with the International Platform Association, as the author of Pain and Beauty, a novel, editor and publisher of Country Magazine, and uh, is a diver, a certified international open water diver, and... Um, um, he, uh, as for television and radio, he's been a guest on numerous radio and, and television talk shows. Been a business owner of Orange is a business owner of Orange Bee Private Monetary System Incorporated, uh, J. Edward Hooper Group, Bo Jim Agency Incorporated, Bo Jim Records Incorporated, Bo Jim Music Incorporated, Bo Dye Music Incorporated, Barter Plus Incorporated, Barter Solutions, JMB Tire and Appliance Company, Country Magazine, Telemarketing Plus. And uh, he's an owner or equity partner in, in various uh, businesses, various other uh, industries and, and markets. Please uh, welcome to the air, uh, James Hooper. Buddy oh, Hooper. You read that real well. I thank <laughs> you that you earned every penny I paid you. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> no, I, I'm very flattered to have you on the air. I just, I just can't get over how many things that you've done in, in your lifetime so far. And and uh, I had to be only 21 at the time. That's good. Really doing good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very impressive. And uh, I'm. I wanted to uh, speak with you tonight about uh, the Orange Bee Private Monetary System, of which you're president and CEO. Um, and to understand how this local monetary system works, can you tell me first a little bit about uh, yourself and uh, this monetary system, and and maybe even uh, start out with uh, your your history with Ron Paul, if you want to throw a little bit of that in there. We were talking about earlier before we were on the air that uh, I think you're going to have a segment here on Ron Paul in a little while. Yeah, we'll get into Ron Paul and, and him commenting on the well, issue. Well, he's from uh, Lake Jackson, Texas originally, 
And in fact, he was my wife's gynecologist at the time. And of course, I had to get him elected his first office. So I go way right back with Ron Paul. We're not good buddies, but I mean, we, we were back in those days. Right. And I that was. I hadn't heard from him in a long time, except keeping up with what he does. And that was in what year? Oh, gosh, I guess uh, early 70s, I guess, wasn't it? I don't right. remember. Yeah. Yes, I think Probably you said that. Right. Yeah, like the year know. before I was born, I was 72. Thanks, yeah. I needed that. <laughs> oh, no. no it's, it's only for my sake, believe me. No, okay. no but uh, he, Ron Paul goes way back. I just wanted to mention him because he's been one of my inspirations, as was uh, Wright Padman back in uh, the early 90s when I was learning to become uh, a patriot, essentially, but as an inspiration of questioning the Federal he Reserve. Should, he should be more people's inspiration. I don't doubt about mm-hmm. that. Yes, and uh, he's really gaining a lot of um, co-sponsors in it with H.R. 1207 to audit the Federal Reserve right now in Congress. But um, here, let's talk about uh, the the alternatives to the um, privately owned Federal Reserve system. Yours is a, a private monetary system, very similar. Well, we we are we are exactly what it says. It's a private monetary system. There's the U.S. dollars a monetary system in the United States. You got the Mexican peso and the Russian ruble and all these other monetary systems. We're the same thing as all the rest of them are, except the others are governmental monetary systems, and we are a private monetary system. But the reason we exist is because we can walk up to most any business person and absolutely guarantee them an increase in sales. Now, I know nobody believes that, but we've only been doing it since 1989, so we're very successful in guaranteeing people additional sales. Now, the first part, you said something about local. We have accounts in Bangladesh and India and and uh, Canada, New York, Chicago, Tennessee, and so on and so forth. So we got accounts all over. Of course, obviously, mm-hmm. accounts in Florida. So you've really spread out and, and um, expanded through your it's throughout the, the world. And uh, how do your, your customers um, or your clients in other parts of the world um, work and um, conduct commerce with um, others throughout the world? Well, I count in India, he won some additional sales. So he joined OBM, the first thing I did was to get him a $9,000 sales, uh, which he certainly wouldn't have got if he hadn't been an OBM account. So he's happy. And how did he go about becoming one of your clients? Well, you can either join online or we can fax, uh, email the stuff and join so and so forth, but you can actually go around and see where it says uh, uh, join now, whatever it says there. Uh, somewhere it says... Uh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll pull that up. There, we're, we're talking about on the so, website, yeah, website orangebee.com. Orange uh-huh. That's O-R-A-N-G-E-B-E-E.com. You just click right on there and join right now. In and, fact, you can do everything. You can look up our product and services we have available. You can, uh, it's a, it's a, that is a web application. If you're familiar with online banking, uh, our web application does more functions than Bank of America's web application does. Because we do everything they do with money. In other words, electronic funds transfer, interest, so on and so forth. But we also got products and services and, and uh, brokers in our web application. So it's a very, very complex web application. Mm. Uh, we are not on the credit card systems, but you can go to log on and you put the account, the seller's account number, the buyer's account number, the amount of the purchase, and look for an authorization number and they'll either give it to you if it's approved. If it's not, it'll tell you no, just like swapping a credit card or anybody else will do. So it's an online banking system. Well, it looks very straightforward. Um, I know Bank of America use the, uses the Diebold system, which are defrauding us of our elections. But, uh, of course, um, uh, that's another issue. But uh, I wanted to ask you also about some of the uh, clients and some of the businesses, uh, accommodation providers or merchants that 
are your clients of the uh, of the Orange Bee Monetary System? Well, one of our largest accounts is uh, Douglas Cyphers with Florida Media. Uh, he's bought everything from a super stretch limo on OBM to he jokes everybody, tells everybody he lives in an OBM house because about everything in his house he bought an OBM. Of course, the equipment for his business and everything else you can think of. Uh, we got mattress manufacturers. We got advertising, TV advertising, radio advertising, newspaper advertising, and um, carpet cleaning and, and automobile repair. And, and I tell you, four wheel on there, I bought my glasses. I paid OBM for them. So we have all kinds of stuff available on OBM. Gee, it seems like you're able to get just everything you get down at a Walmart. No, if we, if we could get everything, our system wouldn't work. One of the things that makes it work is you can't get everything. Hmm. Uh, so what kind see, of are we, you we, See, we give exclude The way we're able to guarantee business professional people additional sales is we give them exclusivity. In other words, if you, for instance, in Pinellas County, which, of course, is in Florida, uh, we have two large copy machine sales and service places with no BM accounts. They can take care of all the sales we got from all of our accounts. So if another one to join in that area, I wouldn't allow them because we've got to guarantee those people additional sales so you get exclusivity. If you are a uh, Chinese restaurant, uh, we won't sign up another Chinese restaurant in your area because the way we give you additional sales is we compel our person to go to a specific business. Hmm, so no one can monopolize uh, a certain area in a certain industry? Well, they do monopolize it. That's the whole trick. I mean, so, right, I, I, exactly. See, see if, we, if we signed up every restaurant in the world, we couldn't compel you to go to a particular restaurant. And therefore, we couldn't guarantee initial sales. So we've got to keep the number the, the, the number in, in, in check based upon the number we have in the area. So people will see that, well, this is the only uh, outlet that we can spend, uh, say, we can do our laundry at in this area, or we can uh, go to a certain kind of, a, say, a, a Greek restaurant, Chinese right, restaurant. Right, right, right. Okay, so we're going to look up the Orange Bee um, clients are the the merchants, or the accommodation providers. Uh, what other kinds of businesses um, have have been on board? Um, well, hotels, uh, uh, Westgate Resorts, uh, which have got resorts all over the country. Uh, I've sold eighteen wheelers, um, better than you think. I one time or another. So it's it's really just a, a mechanism for commerce. It is no different from the U.S. dollar. Business people are in business because they want more money, correct? Right. Yeah. Now, let's just say that you're running the restaurant, and you're running a perfect restaurant. I mean, you got the perfect food, the perfect help, the perfect location, everything's perfect. And it doesn't matter where you're losing money each month or where you're making money each month. If you want more money, I can bring you additional sales. Now, your, your cash sales are like from here to there. This is additional sales. Now, you will not get paid U.S. dollars for that. You'll get paid OBM dollars, which you go into your OBM bank account, just like a U.S. dollar bank account. And now you get that much money to spend. You may well accept it, just like your cash bank account. So it's really an investment for your clients to be on board because they're... If they want additional sales. Now, if they got right. all the cash sales they want, they don't mess with us. And they're kind of hedging their um, investment, so to speak, would you say? Would you say that they're... Well, it doesn't have anything to do with it. It has strictly... In other words... If you're a restaurant and you're spending $3,000 a month on advertising, then you obviously want additional sales. I can walk in and guarantee you additional sales. There's an advertiser in the world that could do that. So it's just a way to increase your sales. It's really that simple. People, people keep trying to make it complicated. It's simple. If you want additional sales, I'll bring you additional sales. If you're a dentist, we don't say if you join OBM, you got to start working on cars. 
If you're a dentist, we're going to get you more dental patients. If you work on cars, we can get more cars for you to work on, which is what you want if you want more business. Because more people have um, more, uh, there are a growing number of people who have the uh, Orange Bee mon- OBM money. OBM dollars, mm-hmm. which is easy to get, and they'd certainly rather spend that than that old hard-earned cash. Here a while back, we put a $13,700 roof on a restaurant. Now, I say we did that. I'm talking about an OBM account did that. That means that restaurant paid 13700 OBM dollars for that roof. Now, without OBM, he'd have paid $13,700 U.S. dollars for that roof, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, so and I saved him $13,700. I mean, gee, mm. <laughs> does that sound pretty good? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and what kind of an area do you, uh, does the Orange Bee dollar cover? What kind of um, geographic area? Well, I told you a while ago, we got accounts in Bangladesh and India. And, uh, in fact, I just talked to somebody from... Uh, uh, Oh, gosh, we're well, some other country while I go just before I came in. But uh, we got council in New York, Chicago, and going into the night. But aren't you based here in um, in Hudson or the Palm I have Harbor an office area? in Clearwater, one in Hudson, yes. But mm-hmm. uh, see, that's like saying, where is Visa's headquarters at? Who even knows that? Oh, Visa's everywhere. I think their slogans. But where's their headquarters <laughs> at? Where are they located? Um, I, I wouldn't have the slightest. It doesn't make a difference, does it? No, no. It doesn't matter where I'm located. Right, right. It's, it seems like... It seems like um, colonial script. Would you say that's a fair comparison uh, where you have uh, your your Orange Bee local community currency? I mean, pardon me. Well, that's what, not what, correct. I should what, have What is a Mexican peso? Oh, that's a national currency. But it's just money, isn't it? Yes, it's it's what people agree on, just like your Orange Bee. So there is, there's nothing besides it's just a private monetary system. It's just money. You can't make it nothing else. Have you ever had In anybody? 1982, Congress enacted the Tax, Equity, and Fiscal Responsibility Act that set up a legal structure under which we operate. So in the eyes of the federal government, we are a bank. We just do not use U.S. dollars. Now, we've been in business since 1989. We're a member of the uh, West uh, Florida, West Coast of Florida, Better Business Bureau. Since 1989, we've never had one single complaint. We've got an A-plus rating, which is as high as you can get we have Very attorneys that CPA that's the OBM accounts. We got CPAs that's OBM accounts. So it is for anyone that wants additional sales, and we can guarantee additional sales. And they only pay us ten percent cash sales commission on the additional sales we bring them, which is incredible. Yeah, that sounds very good. Very inspiring that uh, you have such a, a great opportunity or alternative to the national currency, which is, has been debased so much. Have you heard? Well, I don't even think about it being an alternative. Uh, obviously, it is. But I'm not set out to be an alternative currency. I'm set out a way to where I can bring you additional sales. Right now, the people of the world are screaming for two things. Individuals are screaming for a way to make more money. Is that right. a safe thing to say? Absolutely. Businesses are screaming for additional sales, which means they want more money. Just to stay open. I can life. handle both of those things. You can become a broker for OBM and make a tremendous amount of U.S. dollars, make money as a broker of OBM for individuals. If you're a business or professional person, now, businesses and professional person, our attorneys don't like to say they're a business. They're a professional person. Of course, they sell stuff, don't they? 
Well, they're they're a member of a lobby, as far as I understand. <laughs> but but they but they sell something. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, so very, they're really a business. Very important company. service. So if, if whatever your occupation, if you're a dentist, you want more patients. What I say, no matter what you're in, if you're a radio station, you want more advertising. If you're a TV station, you want more advertising. I can guarantee you an increase in sales. So you're a vehicle for uh, increasing commerce and and, and um, basically. Um, you you are doing it like you say uh, as a bank does or as the um, as the any let, national. Let, let me give, let me give you a parallel. Once upon a time, there was no such thing as a credit card. Oh, now, it's gosh, hard shit. for somebody like that to realize that today. But there was no such thing as a credit card. Most people today think the credit card is a consumer product, but it's not. It's actually a business product. If a business didn't accept it, you wouldn't care one around with you, correct? No. So it started with a business. So when the credit card companies started, they had to get businesses to accept the credit card before they issued credit cards. And entice them. Think about that now. Now, how, let's just say back in those days, you owned a restaurant. You owned this restaurant for 10 years. Everybody come to your restaurant eat, paid you cash. Mm-hmm. I'll walk in and say, I'm going to start this credit card system. Now, it wasn't plastic. It, there's no swap machines, <laughs> et cetera, back in those days, okay? Just a hard piece of paper, okay? Right. And I must say, I'm going to start this credit card system, and if you agree to take this credit card, I can guarantee additional sales. And we're going to get a restaurant, an automobile repair, and a dentist, and et cetera, in this area. And once we get that, we're going to mail out X number of credit cards in this area, meaning they can come into your business use this credit card. Now, when they come in here, they're going to bring this little piece of paper, and it's going to have these numbers on the back, and you're going to call in, and we're going to say yes or no. If we say yes, then you can go ahead and sell them their food. You fill out this slip, and you mail the slip in. In 30 to 60 days, you'll get your money back, less than 10% sales commission you pay us for bringing you the sales. Now, up to this point, no one would have said yes to that. Why would they? Well, they this, is no why they, this is why they would, because they give those people exclusivity. Now, when they issue those credit cards, if they wanted to come to a restaurant, and use that credit card, they were compelled to come to your restaurant. If they wanted to get their car worked on, they were compelled to go to that place right there. They couldn't go to all these others. So they wanted to be the first ones on board, the first ones in the Exclusivity, block. not mm-hmm. just first, exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Now, later on, obviously, we know we took that exclusivity away. So taking a credit card today does not increase your sales. If you don't take a credit card, you're going to lose sales. You don't gain sales by taking it. Now, some people say, yes, you do. That's not correct. If we want to go eat the Red Lobster Inn, do we check and see whether they take a credit card before we go down there? No, we just assume. We know they take it. Right. Now, if we wanted to go to the Red Lobster and we found out they didn't take it and we wanted to use our credit card, we wouldn't go there, would we? No, nope, never again. So the credit card company started out as a way to increase your sales by giving exclusivity to the businesses accept the credit card. I'm doing exactly what they did when they first started. Now, I told the lady that one day, she said, yeah, but you're using private money. I said, man, I'm taking a credit card back in the early 60s. It's just as weird as taking private money yesterday. People forget that. Yeah, and the idea of actually living on credit. <laughs> so, so we give exclusivity to a particular type of person Mm-hmm. in a geographical area that we will allow except OBM, and therefore we can absolutely guarantee them an increase in sales. And they only pay us 10% cash sales commission for the additional sales we bring them. 
Well, that's very good, and it keeps uh, doesn't it keep a lot of the um, a lot of the business and a lot of the uh, labor and, and materials uh, in the in this community, just because it's from where it originates, but at the same time brings well, it brings in see, business. I hear a lot of people talking about community. For instance, most people, especially in Florida, you hear a lot of talk about tourism. Oh yeah, and how important. Oh, Most me. people do not understand why tourism is actually so important. It's not just the fact that you put people to work here. It's the fact that people bring money from another area and spend in this area. That's why a tourist dollar is more valuable than even a manufacturer's dollar is. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have manufacturing in the state of Florida. We certainly need it. But what I'm saying is that when you bring a currency, additional currency into an area... That currency moves from one place to the next and stimulates additional sales. So that's why the tourist dollar is so important into any area, because it stimulates additional sales by people moving out there. We did. I was the president of Chamber of Commerce, and we did a study. A local person spending a local dollar will get about two and a half turns on that money, meaning that money will be spent with one person and be spent with another person before it falls dead. A Outside dollar coming in there will get about seven turns. In other words, you will get it. You'll spend it with somebody else, and spend it with somebody else, and spend it with somebody else. So it'll get about seven turns versus about one and a half turns on the local dollar spent. And before it falls dead, uh, what does that mean? It just loses the initiative. But you've got inertia. You've got movement. You've got movement. See, see if, you, if, you had, if you had 10 businesses in a given area that all bought and sell for each other, after a while, they'd have what each other's got, wouldn't they? They wouldn't want any more of it. Well, essentially, but uh, there are always needs for food and you know, but, but what non-durable I'm, what I mean, But what I'm saying, if, if, if you only traded or only purchased in a given small area, after a while, people would have all they wanted of what it is to sell there. You've got to be able to move currency. That's why moving currency is so important for, for uh, these people that wants to... Uh, cut off overseas trade. There ain't nothing wrong with overseas trade. There, there oh, should no. be, it should be right. balanced and everything, obviously. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that the United States was isolated for years. We could do anything we wanted to. There was nothing. If, if you're in a, if you're in a, a area that's completely isolated, if, if you're, if you raise your children on an island that has no outside communications, you could teach them that right there is an airplane, and they wouldn't know any difference, would they? No, they would know it's a call from just okay. what they were told. So, so the United States used to be an isolated area that we could do basically anything we wanted to. Then we got to be a global economy. That's a whole well, different we, story. We got to be you the, can't control everything when steps comes in. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's it's fantastic that we got movement of commerce. Oh yes, uh, so so, so, so OBM, you're saying that OBM has nothing to do with local. It has to do with mm-hmm. any business that wants additional sales. We can guarantee additional sales. That's all it has to do with it. And uh, what kind of, um, uh, maybe I've already asked this, what, what kind of uh, businesses uh, can you um, um, entice into um, the exclusive, the businesses that have ex, um, have exclusivity? Uh, this is this always is, interesting. Of course, obviously, it's not the first time I've explained this. I was talking to a lady one time. We were talking about the credit card concept. I said, you've got to realize at one time, there was only one business in the entire world that accepted a credit card. 
And she looked at me and she said, Buddy, that's got to be the stupidest thing I've heard in my life. I said, may I remind you that even twins are born one at a time? At one time, there's only one car on Earth. At one time, there's only one set of earphones in the world. At one time, there's only one TV in the world. At one time, there's only mm-hmm. one radio station in the world. Yes, at one time, there was only one business in the entire world except for the credit card. First time for everything. Everything started. one time, there's only one car. Everything starts with one. People forget that. So at one time, nobody in the world accepted OBM. Think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. And the first person that joined OBM joined something that didn't exist. And, who's he going to sell to? Nobody. Who were they? And, who's he going to buy from? Nobody. <laughs> then you get two members. You get three members, and you just keep on getting more and more, just like the credit cards. You get more and more and more people to accept it, the more valuable it comes. And who was that person? Uh, who was that party? You know, I'm not really sure. Uh, Bill Long, which is a large uh, air conditioning contractor over Bradenton, Florida, was either one of the, either the first one or one of the first. I've actually lost count of who actually, because I changed computer programs and applications and put in people in different order. Mm-hmm. So he was either the first one or certainly one of the first ones. He's certainly one of the oldest one I've got. He's been with us since 1989. And what motivated, uh, I mean, I know you can't speak for him, but what motivated people in those early days to get so involved? I, I remember in the late 80s and early well, 90s. Well, they succumbed was- to my charm. Well, no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, and they're trustworthy face, absolutely. <laughs> I just, explained, I just yes. explained what I was going to do. And like the first person says, um, how do you know I'm going to sign somebody else? I said, well, trust me. They yeah. did, and I did. Mm-hmm. Give it a shot. Give you a shot. Well, I'm so glad they did. They, now, as a matter of fact, if you're on orangebee.com over there, if you click on testimonials, you'll see a testimonial from Bill Long. And my testimonials are unlike any testimonial you've ever seen in your life. My testimonials has the, name, the, the person's name, the business name, the address, the phone number, the email address, you ain't never seen one like that in your life. Bill Long's got one or so. Find Bill Long. Oh, well, we, we can actually figure, we can uh, actually contact them and, yeah. and get we, their we, statement. We you got it all in black we, and white. Read Bill Long one. Go, go down, read, no, go down Bill Long's. Oh, uh, Bill Long here. And we'll go down to him then. Uh, just, just air it down. You're fine. Okay. There we go. Bill Long of uh, Ocean Air Conditioning. Yeah, read, 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 read his testimonial. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's in Bradenton, Florida. He he says, I have the distinction of being one of the first accounts of OBM, and I'm really glad I took the chance and joined joined them. It has been exciting watching them grow from the start into what they are today. It has also been exciting having them bring me all the additional business during this time. I don't want anyone telling me how to run my business, and I do not want to tell you how to run yours. But I will tell you, if you are not utilizing OBM, you're really missing a good thing, and that thing is additional business and more profit. That's OBM. Gosh, how about that? (laughs) Well, it sounds like he's a happy customer for a long time here, and that's probably your best uh, word-of-mouth business. And you you have a lot of... uh, what are some of the? Uh, I'd like to talk about some of the other. I know I, we started to get into this. Um, some of the other um, accounts uh, that you have on uh, Orange Bee Money. Um, I see you have. Um, I'll just look. Looking at your testimonials, I, I see you have uh, Call a Mattress, Florida Media. Um, That's just the testimonials, yes. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, an attorney, uh, but. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I know that you have, uh, even this very radio station that um, WTAN that we're speaking on is a member of uh, Orange B private monetary system. They certainly are. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, that they're one of the people who got me, um, the, uh, the station owners got me interested in, in Orange B money also. Um, well, let's see, let's look here. If we, if we could pull up, I, I was interested in uh, what Ron Paul had uh, said when he was questioned uh, in this YouTube video about, uh, it wasn't, um, well, what, what was the uh, actual term that was used? I'll look it up here in just one moment. You can uh, play that video. He, he was asked about legalizing competing currencies, um, whether that's of concern to, um, to investors. And uh, do you, would you have that first clip available, Lee? All right, go ahead, play it, thanks. Let me ask you in terms of a new monetary system, and without question, you're the only presidential candidate delving into these issues, which are, of course, of great interest to investors everywhere. What kind of new monetary system would you like to see? Do you want the dollar to be gold-backed again? Would you like to go back to fixed exchange rates? Give us a sense of where you'd like to go. Well, we, we should follow the law, and the law is the Constitution. The Constitution said only gold and silver should be legal tender. We don't really have clear authority to have a central bank. Jefferson and Jackson got rid of a national bank because they didn't like it. We've only had a central bank for a sh relatively short period of time, but we can't get rid of the Fed in a day or a week. But we could legalize competing currencies. I mean, we compete with currencies around the world all the time, but, but why can't we have gold and silver competing as a currency and let people save? legalize the competition let gold and silver circulate as true money take off capital gains taxes and sales taxes let people settle their disputes in a new currency we have parallel currencies around the world that fluctuate every single minute of the day in value we could have a domestic competing currency and people who want to save in gold bonds instead of government bonds are you going to make that uh, part of your plank, part of your argument, the competing currency, which I think, sirs, correct me if I'm wrong, was raised years ago by Friedrich Hayek. I think he raised that Nobel Prize winner. You're going to make this part of your campaign. I, I have in the past and I will continue to do it. Hayek actually would allow the marketplace to develop the competing currencies. And I think that's not a bad idea either. So I sort of support the Hayekian and viewpoint. But uh, even with the government involved, they could change the tax laws and allow the competing currency to develop uh, more smoothly. Am I the only interviewer with you, sir, who has raised Friedrich Hayek's name? No, but it's good to hear his name. <laughs> it's, it's very rare that anybody does. But uh, I have to say that uh, the road to serfdom had a lot of influence on me in my early years. Indeed, the Constitution of Liberty as well for me. So, buddy, what do you think about Well, I guess according Paul? to what he says, I am the competing currency he's thinking of, isn't it? Certainly are. I would now, think. He was talking about legalizing it. Uh, I'm assuming he already knows that, that we are legal. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like I told you a while ago, in 1982, Congress enacted the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act that set up a legal structure in which we operate. So the federal government is well aware of what I'm doing. Uh, and I might add, while I'm on the subject, that OBM is taxable income, just like U.S. dollars. In fact, any mm -hmm. question you ask me about taxes and OBM, it's the same answers as taxes and U.S. dollars. If so you spend you, it on your business, you deduct it. If you don't, you don't, just like U.S. dollar. And you have to report it and you I, I, report words, it. For all, part of the regulations, is each year I've got to report all the income. Those are sales of each, of each account directed to IRS, yes. And, of course, you've got to include it on your income tax. So you're acting, like you say, as a, as a bank, and which is very interesting. Um, I haven't studied that, that law. Um, 
I'm, I'm I really am I'm just uh, I'm really at a loss. I I thought that I studied up and uh, here you're a very unique situation compared to <laughs> compared to what I thought you were. And we, we're, we did we're a lot. Talking, of, we were talking about accounts a while mm-hmm, ago. Now I don't mm-hmm. want you to call any names here because you can see them. <laughs> but I want I want you to show you some of our account balances here. Here's an account right here that has an OBM balance of one hundred thirty-eight thousand nine hundred forty dollars and thirty-six cents in their OBM bank account. Now, some people think that has something to do with their sales and their purchases. It's the same thing as your bank account right now. It's the money that's in your bank account. You follow me? Uh huh. So it's it just stays there. Or does it collect interest or? Well, it's just don't stay there. They spend mm-hmm. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's what their balance is right now. Now, this particular account here, if I'm not mistaken, let's just take a look at their current statement here. Just see what activity they had today. Okay. Uh, in this case, uh, this account made a $3,045 sale on the 6th and the 1st. On the 6th and the 4th, they purchased $8,950. And on the 6th and the 4th, they purchased $175. So this month of long, they have made sales of $3,045. They have made purchases of $9,125, which leaves them $138,904.36 in the OBM bank account. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's like any other bank doing account. a lot of business for you. Now, here's another account here. Again, I don't want you to call the names here, but... All right. Here's an account here that's going to owe us some money. This account right here currently owes us... $18,830.72. See that? Now, the beautiful part about that, he never has to worry about paying that back. Now, I did not say he doesn't pay it back. I said he doesn't have to worry about paying it back. If you borrow money from Bank of America on the 15th of the month, you better give us some money, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> gonna... In this case, I must send him OBM accounts. It's going to purchase from him. That amount be deposited in his OBM bank account and go toward paying us back. If I do not send him an OBM account, he will never pay that back. If you don't send him an if OBM account? If I do account. not send him an OBM account to purchase from him, he will never pay that money back. Try that so, one. You're the bank. Now, just for curiosity's sake, let's see what he's so doing. I'm trying to understand. You're saying if, if you... If you are, how are you enticing him to pay it back, or are you? No, I don't entice him to pay it back. He owes me right now $18,830.72. Right. He is not concerned about that at all, ever. Because you don't have somebody to... Uh, no, he's not concerned because he doesn't ever have to pay it back. I've got to send him somebody that's going to buy from him, pay him OBM, and that amount will go into his OBM account and go toward paying us back. If I do not send him OBM customers, he will never pay that back as long as he lives. So you work in order to help him work for you to pay back what he owes you? No, is I just send him additional sales. Right, right. So, <laughs> so he, he makes sales but that, that benefit you. If I you. don't send him mm-hmm. sales, he'll benefit me. If I don't send him his sales, he'll never pay that back. That's gotcha. my point. Now, right. let's see what he's done here, okay. just for curiosity's sake. Okay, this month, he sold, he's sold $8,950 and $175 this month. So he's he's working working it off apparently. Well, you can say he's working it off. I'm sending him a sales. 
so you can you actually get to see the the uh, how, how he's able to uh, this individual is able to uh, pay you back or w when he's able to pay you back or what you know how as he's able to make payments isn't isn't that well, right? No, so he doesn't make payments. That's the beautiful doesn't. thing. He never to make it. He, he never makes a payment. I've got to send him OBM accounts that's going to purchase from him. Mm -hmm. Pay him OBM. That OBM be deposit his OBM bank account. And just say, just like he just sold $8,900. Well, let me just, just, just a second. Just go back here just a second here. I got you. I showed you this exactly. Okay. At the first of this month, which wasn't that far off, he owed me $27,955.72. You see okay. that? Yeah, said, this, this is actual figures. That's all, that's a, that's a, just like an online bank account. It's, what you see is what it is, what it is okay? That looks more, much more complicated. So yeah, $27,955.72. He sold to an OBM account that I sent him $9,125, which now means he owes us $18,830.72. And if I send him another $10,000 customer, then he owe me $8,000. So he's he's actually able to pay it off at his own at the rate that he's able to. Uh, he's paying you no. off at the rate he's able to. No, to he pays pay. it off at the rate I send him initial sales. But only at that rate. It's it's the orange bee. Um, within the the amount of business I'm I'm asking, I guess, is the the amount of business he's able to do under the orange bee monetary system determines uh, how fast he's able to pay off. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. The more money, the more business I say. Well, this is mm -hmm. this is this month. You know, from this month, he's he sold $9,000. That's quite a bit. He's able to make so, some good progress. So, you know, a month from now, he may have $20,000 in the account. You know, you follow me? So it, it just fluctuates, and you don't worry about it. It's he a, doesn't worry about it. It's a bank it. account. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we worry about it. It's a bank account. Um, well, <laughs> sure. <but. laughs> uh, here's an account here in New York. And right now, they owe us... Uh, Ninety-seven hundred ninety-three dollars six sixty-one cents. And uh, and so um, these are. This is an out of out of state company that. Does New York. That does business regularly with uh, with orange or orange bee money and. Mm -hmm. Yep. No matter where you are. That's just like, mm -hmm. where's Bank of America's accounts at? Well, they right. It's it's in their computers. It's it's, it's what they make it's up. My, I got a data venture like they have. Same thing. Yeah, it's, it's and it's interesting. Your accounting, um, you know how what really concerned a lot of people, as you're probably aware, is that uh, in 2005, I, I remember it was March uh, 27th, 2005. It was a important day to me because the Federal Reserve decided they were going to stop printing the total um, money aggregate estimate, uh, the M3. And that way we'd have no idea what the inflation was. Uh, that's, uh, that, would, the, that way we wouldn't know what the value of our money was or how fast it was being devalued. But that's a, being a separate issue. Your accounting right, system— it's easy, it's easy to know how, how, how our value is, our money is devalued because it's only devalued in comparison to other monies. It's not devalued compared to the self. It's only devalued in comparison to other people's monies. In relation to all the yeah. others, right. Yeah. And I noticed that um, as they were— 
crying about uh, our, our economic system floundering to try to get the bailout through. They were, um, it, for the very first time, it was unprecedented that all the world uh, major world currencies um, increased their their interest rate all in unison. And, uh, you know, just to, to try to conceal the, the value, uh, the, the, the devaluation of their currencies in relation to each other. So uh, that's, a, you know, that's another um, web, I guess you could say, that, that we don't want to get Chris, tangled up Chris, into. Every country is worried about their country, not the other one. Every family is worried about their family, not the other one. Yeah, I'm not saying we're not all good human beings, but, but there's no country looking after the United States. Other than the U.S.? Other than the U.S. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm concerned that the, the monetary system, I think, is trying to, they're trying to intentionally debase it. From what I've heard and from Jim Tucker's you know, reporting. I don't, I don't really like to get into this, but let me, let me, mm -hmm. people, oh, God, I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> no problem. Nobody's listening. <laughs> How many people do we have on welfare in the United States? Officially, I, I gosh, too many thousands, <laughs> thousands, and where's that money coming from? It's coming from. Um, hmm, that's a good question. The Federal Reserve. Well, maybe they're printing well, up more. It, don't, don't even <laughs> use the word Federal Reserve. Okay, just just get off of that. Okay, you've got somebody's got income and you got expenses. No matter what you call it, you do. You're home. You're in your home. You got income. You got expenses. Right. Mm -hmm. That's now, coming from somebody else in society. But what I'm saying is that if you've got somebody on welfare, the government has either got to collect that money from somebody else to give to them. Right. Or they've just got to print up additional money. Exactly. And that's what they're doing at and full that's throttle. What but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, they, if any politician, oh God, I shouldn't say this. If anybody politician outside of Ron Paul oh, right. <laughs> ever got on there and told people that we could not continue at the rate we're issuing money, the government was going to go broke, they couldn't get elected. Do you realize that? Because it would seem like an insurmountable obstacle, right? Well, no. If, you, <laughs> if you're furnishing me money... Oh, sure. And I've got a choice of voting for you or well, for somebody else, and those other people are going to tell me they're going to keep on giving me that money. Which am I going to vote for? Well, you won't bite the hand that feeds you. That's right. So they're going to vote for the people that keeps giving them money. Unlike Ron Paul, who doesn't accept any lobbyist money. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Well, now I got it, I, but, I think. But, uh, <laughs> but, but people love to say that the, the Federal Reserve doing this. But the money is going to the people of the United States that's on welfare. The state of Florida just extended uh, unemployment benefits retroactive and allow those people to get over $5,000 in just one check. In addition, wow. of course, they're going to get $300 or so like that a week for the next number of weeks. And so what is that Where's cost? that money coming from? That's coming See, that's from the, Florida. That's the problem. It's coming mostly from Floridians and, and uh, you know, people who, who don't have to take drug tests. But what does that do to the economy? People who get paid more than... That's uh, why the state is deficit. That's why California is about to go broke. Right. You cannot give away more than you take in, no matter what you are. And fighting wars. Whether you are a family, where you're a state, where you're a county, where you're a school district... Your income is supposed to exceed your expenses. 
And when you start paying for all the things that our government agencies are paying for, they just can't get enough income to do that. Well, they think that, uh, wouldn't you agree that the, the foundation of the economy would be labor and products? Would I be right in saying that? Theoretically, if you had a perfectly balanced monetary system, for every dollar that's owed, that dollar would be backed by a service or product. Right, just like uh, very, just like your system. That would system. be a perfectly balanced system, yeah. Mm -hmm. See, I have never spent one single OBM dollar, personal-wise or corporate-wise, that I did not earn before I spent it. I don't it was think earned into existence. It. I don't think that you can say that about Uncle Sam, did you? Oh, absolutely not. So every <laughs> OBM dollar I spend, that I spend them again, I told you I paid my glasses for them. I got an office mm -hmm. sitting out here on, on Drew Street, a thousand square foot, I pay a hundred I pay a hundred cent OBM for that office. But my point is that what they're doing now is they're printing up money, whereas used to work to make products to make money. Now their money is the product, is, is what I'm saying. And so they're printing up money and using all these derivatives and um, accounting strategies that nobody can figure out, hypothecation, rehypothecation. And you know, so that's, what's, uh, that's one of these uh, things that really you know, gets me that, for example, our president understands that that's the basis for our, our problems with, the, with the, the derivatives are the main problem. And he says he's going to look into, uh, he's got, before he was elected, he promised to investigate the conflict of interest between these investment banks and companies, rating agencies like AIG that overrated the, um, these derivatives. And then he gets into office and, and he doesn't follow up on this. And, you know, so the, the point is that he and, he and I and, and uh, uh, many people would agree that that we know what the problem is that we're just hemorrhaging out money with all these this you know money being printed up uh, because of uh, derivatives and credit being issued out of nowhere that's why uh, our federal officials have made several trips to china begging them not to dump the u.s dollar oh yeah <laughs> like geithner because they would become useless if they did absolutely geithner is in front of uh, china in front of a, a i think it was a university class i have the, the article on the website of liberationstation.weebly.com and uh, that reminds me I need to give out the phone numbers uh, here in Pinellas the local Pinellas number is 727-441-3000 if you'd like to speak with Buddy Hooper on uh, on his Orange Bee private monetary system and uh, the toll free number is 1-866-826-1340 866-TAN-1340 the all tell free call is star 1340 and uh, on the on the website uh, liberationstation.weebly.com, uh, Weebly is spelled W-E-E, B as in ball, L-Y. You can find the the article that uh, that I was just uh, talking about on uh, on the homepage uh, where Geithner is over in China, and he actually gets laughed at because he tries to tell them that all their dollar investments are safe; they're they're not going to be losing any value, and and. Uh, you know, basically, China's just learning that they need to spend their dollars as quickly as, as they say. They, they're having to spend their, their, their dollars uh, or their investments in dollars uh, as quickly as possible, something that I think a lot of Americans ought to come around to realizing. So, um, yeah, Geithner is, is one of those. Well, I hope they don't. <laughs> <laughs> because they do, it'll become useless. 
Because uh, cash is king, is that uh, a policy? There are so many. See, people talk about inflation. Most of the time when people talk about inflation, they're talking about price inflation. Prices going up, Mm -hmm. inflated prices. But that's caused by monetary inflation because you issue more money than you have income. And eventually, no matter what it is in your life, you get all you want. You can only drink so many Dr. Peppers. You can only eat so many chickens. So if you got all the U.S. dollars you want, then you don't want to take any more, do you? So they have issued so many U.S. dollars that's being hoarded by different people all over the world, in particular China. And if they, they dump, if they start spending all that money, then the U.S. dollar would become useless because nobody's going anymore. That's right. And uh, I'm not saying they're going to. Don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen. No. <laughs> don't happen. But we but we still got OB on the case it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, well, we don't just uh, the stinking dollar isn't the only thing that we have. <laughs> you know, it's just, and that's all all that we had. But uh, you know, yeah, Geithner's over there, and and now that now that um, he's over there and and um, trying to convince them, they're they're like I say, they're spending, they're trying to spend their their dollar assets. And uh, and um, and they're asking us to um, asking our government to back up the actions of the private Federal Reserve, which you know with, with which the Congress contracted to assume the the money you know the issue the money issuance authority. But China is asking the Congress if they're going to monetize the the Treasury bills that the Federal Reserve is, but it is wouldn't itself make it buying. But it would make a difference. No, it really wouldn't. It'd just be, yeah, just uh, shoveling money around from account to account. But yeah, it's because the Treasury is controlled it's the US by the dollar. Fed. If the U.S. dollar, if if I done, I forget what country it is. It's got like two hundred thousand percent interest per month. A loaf wow. of bread is like two and a half million dollars. Sounds like a Weimar Germany. Gosh. No, it's. Uh, I forget where it was. Matter of fact, I was going to bring it to you. I was going to bring this with me. I forgot it. Well, but, it, uh, it sounds but, like, I mean, Nazi Germany. But it's Germany. because the government spent more money than what they took in, and they just keep on spending, keep on keeping, keep on spending. Well, it's been done, and so they do it. The same um, International Bank of Settlements does the same thing. They go into, you know, the, just like the Federal Reserve is underneath the International Bank of Settlements, they do the same to Chile and Argentina and uh, so many other countries. They bankrupt them with a private monetary system that they just uh, hyperinflate at the very end. They, you know, the very last uh, official act of a government is to loot the nation, as they say. And uh, and that appears to be what's happening here. We hope it isn't, but uh, you know, from like, from things. Well, that, I'm just going to take care of OBM. We'll have OBM. Yes. That's that's all. That's all we need. Yep. That's that's what you know. <laughs> solutions are just like, uh, you know, just like what you have to offer. And, and Rod think. needs to know that it is illegal. Yes, <laughs> it is legal. <laughs> yeah, that, well, we don't want anybody to have a stigma because I, I hear the same complaint sometimes, like, "Oh my gosh, the IRS will come down on you." And and I did hear uh, Jim Tucker, who's been Jim Tucker, um, gosh, I, American Free Press dot um, net is his site. He's been reporting on the Bilderberg Group, a secret elite organization. He's been reporting on them for decades, and and this time, this year around, he says that one of the main things that they're afraid of uh, is is that people are getting into these independent self-sufficient uh, systems um, of, you know, barter, or not barter, of, See, there, of commerce. There's no such thing as a theft. If, if anybody is using anything other than a product or service in a direct exchange, somebody's got to owe somebody some money. 
in any exchange. Do you tell me that a local exchange or local monetary system is not going to have somebody that's not going to perform? No, that's human nature. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Everything is local. So that, that's no different. You're going to have good people and bad people. Uh, uh, how many do you see a news show and they say, man, I can't believe that happened here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so, just... So just... You, got, you got the same situation in local monetary system. There's no different. But uh, have you had any resistance uh, by any... Have you had any trouble from um, audits or anything? Uh, you know, being I can't bothered? have any problem. Mm -hmm. I can't have any problem. There ain't no legal problem. No harassment. Okay. That, that, okay that's I what I was concerned CPAs about. I've got CPAs and attorneys and everybody else. It's an OBM accounts. No, they don't mess with you then. <laughs> you got, you're well, no, already... I, it's not that they're not going to mess with me. It's just, there's no price legal. Now, IRS can come in and audit me anytime they get ready. I mean, gee, I'm, I'm, they audit me anytime they get ready. But what I'm saying is they know they have to be the OBM because it's perfectly legal. And you're so well uh, spread out that you know, so it's like a, it seems to me it's, it's like uh, um, you've, you've, had, you've had such a chance to flourish over so many years, wouldn't you say, that that's helped you become so well established that nobody would challenge you? Well, I, I, run, I, run, I run a good business. Yes, you do. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you joining me, Buddy Hooper, and uh, you can check him out at orangebee.com. B is spelled B-E-E.com. Thank you. Enjoy being here. Thanks, Buddy. And uh, join us in the next hour. We'll have Carol Brouillet talking about community currencies and other private monetary systems. You're listening to Liberation Station. Call in line 727-441-3000 in Pinellas, 866-826-1340, toll free. This is the Tan Talk Radio Network, broadcast home of Imus in the Morning on AM 1340 WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa, St. Petersburg, and AM 1350 WDCF, Dade City, Zephyr Hills, and Wesley Chapel. CNN Radio, I'm Pat St. Clair. Word of the death of actor David Carradine is sending shockwaves through the entertainment world. Carradine was found dead in his hotel room in Bangkok, Thailand. He was best known most recently for playing the title role in the Kill Bill movies. If I may doesn't kill you, he will make you stronger. <laughs> Carradine also gained fame in the 1970s when he starred in the television series Kung Fu. The Brazilian Air Force says the first of the debris picked up near where officials believe Air France Flight 447 crashed Monday into the Atlantic Ocean was not from the plane. CNN's John Zarella explains. The uh, Air Force officials announced that what they had picked up, a pallet and a couple of uh, flotation devices, were not from Flight 447 or don't appear to be where they're from. The Air Force doesn't know, so dashed hopes once again of at least identifying wreckage as for sure from Flight 447 and what parts of the plane it might have come from. So again, bottom line is the first day that they actually went out to try and pick up wreckage, what they did bring up was not apparently from Flight 447. In a much-anticipated speech to the Muslim world from Cairo, Egypt on Thursday, President Obama called for a new beginning and an end to long-simmering tensions. He talked about how extremists exploit those tensions between the U.S. and the Muslim world. The first issue that we have to confront is violent extremism in all of its forms. 
Randy Johnson is celebrating tonight. He is the 24th pitcher in Major League history to win his 300th game. The win came in a 5-1 San Francisco Giants victory over the Washington Nationals. Johnson said it was more satisfying than pitching a perfect game. And it is game one of the NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Magic. Near halftime, the Lakers leading 38-33. The most trusted name in news, this is CNN Radio. This is the Rays Report with Rich Herrera. Thursday, the Rays finished up the homestand looking to go 5-1. and one. The Rays were down early, 2-0, looking for a hit. They finally get the big one from Carl Crawford in the seventh. Here's a long drive to deep right field. Jose Guillen is back to the wall. He looks up, and Crawford has taken him out. A home run for Crawford, and the Rays are down now 2-1 in the seventh inning. Crawford's shot makes it 2-1. Then the Rays have a runner at first in the eighth inning, and B.J. Epton coming up. He had a seven-game hitting streak. Now it's eight. Swinging a long drive deep in the air to left field. DeJesus back, back to the wall. Gone! A two-run homer for B.J. Upton, and the Rays have taken a 3-2 lead. Tonight we'll be on the air with you at 6.30, 7.05 first bit. Bryce versus Sabathia for the big stadium of the Bronx at Georgeville. Catch the Rays all season long on the Rays radio network. For tickets, log on to RaysBaseball.com. Rays Baseball on WDCF 1350. Have you ever listened to a talk radio show and said, I could do that? Well, you're right. You can right here on the Tantalk radio network. Your Tantalk program will include... A professional engineer to handle every technical aspect of your program. Professional talk and recording studios. Four telephone lines to take live call-ins and conduct live interviews. Even the ability to do live remote broadcasts. Not only will your program be aired locally in Tampa Bay, you'll be streamed live worldwide across the internet in audio and video. When you sign off, you'll receive an audio CD or MP3 copy of your program, which can be duplicated and distributed. In addition, you can archive and podcast this copy of your program on the internet for download and playback. Ready to explore the exciting world of talk radio? Here's the next step. Hey, Tampa Bay, listen up. You can have a one-hour program on the Tantalk Radio Network for less than the cost of one 60-second announcement on many local radio stations. We will put your program on two stations in Tampa Bay, AM 1340 and AM 1350. The cost? Less than a 60-second announcement on many Tampa Bay stations. Get the facts by calling Lola Jean, the broadcast queen, at 727-510-7622. That's 727 area code 510-7622. Call 510-7622 now and reserve your Tan Talk Network program. I'm George with the Fuse Weekly News, live on Sunday nights at 9 on Tan Talk 1340. George, you and I are men of the people, just like our sponsor, the Widow Browns in Largo on Seminole Boulevard, just north of Almerton. Visit the Widow Brown for their 99-cent a la carte breakfast. And don't eat fast food. Get the Widow Brown's 579 lunch special with drink. Homemade food is so much better than fast food. Go to georgenation.com and the Fuse on Sunday nights at 9 for comedy and news. And the Widow Brown's in the heart of Pinellas. Visit georgenation.com for more info. Hi, I'm Keith Allen. Me and my co-host Gary Godier will start the coffee and help get your day going Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. right here on Tan Talk. Like most people, you're making deals, some big, some small, but some deals need a deal maker, and that's the name of our show, The Deal Maker. We're talking real estate, talking life, talking to you about how to be successful and how to make money and enjoy it. Join us Saturdays at 7 a.m. right here on Tampa Bay's Tan Talk Radio, 1340 and 1350. The Deal Maker is brought to you by Golf South Center Office Park, Tampa, 813-933-6800. 
This is Michael Cooper, host of Animal Tales, where you can learn how to take better care of your animal companion, whether it's a dog, a cat, a rabbit, or whatever. Every Saturday at 12 noon here on 1340 Tantalk. We want to hear from you, so call us live every Saturday at 12 noon. And to listen to previous shows with great guests like Marion Nessel and John Robbins, heir of the Baskin Robbins fortune, go to tampapets.org. But we'll see you here noon on Saturday on Tantalk 1340. Welcome back to Liberation Station. I'm your host, Chris Steiner, and uh, the call-in lines, I'd like to hear what you have to say. What's going on today? And uh, we'll have our guest on the line in a moment. Uh, We'll have to talk about uh, some of the things in the news. And uh, the local Pinellas call-in line is 727-441-3000. Toll-free, the number is 866-826-1340. That's 866-TAN-1340. And the all-tell free call is star 1340. Um, uh, We'll just uh, have a few things in the news here to talk about. Uh, I'm uh, just sending a few instant messengers here. Uh, But, uh, yeah, we're talking about last week, uh, I mean, pardon me, last hour about, uh, and last week as well, about the economy. Um, We're talking about uh, Tim Geithner in the last hour when he attended, uh, when he went to China and uh, he was he was laughed um, he was laughed at for uh, saying that uh, their assets were safe. Uh, that was uh, that article I was I was mentioning was from Reuters. If anybody would like to check that out, respected source, uh, very respected news source. Well, uh, I'd like to welcome to the airlines, uh, Carol Brulier. Or Carol, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Chris. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the show. I wanted to introduce you and uh, let everybody know what a, a distinguished history you have. Uh, Carol Brouillet is a longtime activist who organized three conferences on strategies to transform the global economy and the first marches on her senators and congresswomen in, in January 2002 to demand a congressional investigation of 9-11. She publishes The Deception Dollar and co-founded the 9-11 Truth Alliance and the Northern California 9-11 Truth Alliance. She organized premieres of films, educational events, marches, rallies for 9-11 Truth, the San Francisco International Inquiry into 9-11, and produced the film Behind Every Terrorist, There is a Bush. She is also a mother of three boys and held a weekly listening project in downtown Palo Alto from October 2001 to October 2007. Now she holds it once a month on the 11th in solidarity with other 9-11 truth activists worldwide. She ran for Congress in 2006 and 2008 on the Green Party ticket on a 9-11 truth peace impeachment platform. 
In April 2007, she launched a radio show on We the People radio network entitled Questioning War, Organizing Resistance, which ran through September 2008. And her main website is communitycurrency.org, communitycurrency.org, and uh, you can find her her bio and uh, some other links, um, such as from her documentaries on my website or go to her website communitycurrency.org some uh, clips from uh, behind every terrorist there's a bush and uh, uh, that can be found on the show guest section of, of my website liberationstation.weebly.com so um, carol uh, welcome to the airwaves thank you for joining me oh thanks for inviting me and i uh, i i'm so impressed by your your uh, past in the um in the uh, gosh, the, the Patriot Movement, the 9/11 Truth Movement, the um, I don't know how many movements are you in. Uh, it's hard to <clears throat> separate them. Actually, I think they are networked to a great degree. I don't think there's ever been as many movements uh, or as many people active. Of course, there's never been a greater need than today. Right. So, uh, one of the things that I actually have been trying to do is to merge the truth movement with the peace and justice movement. And I, I, I don't know if you were aware of it, but in 2001, I tried to mobilize North Americans to the first World Social Forum in uh, Brazil. And uh, when we were there, uh, there weren't that many people from North America, maybe just 39 out of you know, 4,000, 5,000 people. And it was a convergence of movements all against corporate globalization and militarism. And they really drew attention to the FTAA, which was the free trade area in the Americas that was written of by four corporations that they wanted to extend from um, the, the Arctic to um, the tip of South America. Oh, yes, and that's still a, a challenge right now. There's a section on the in the link section on my webpage of many different uh, links, uh, websites against that North American Union, Free Trade Area of the Americas, um, all these uh, block um, right. you know, but it, governments. But it felt at that time there were, there were thousands of people from hundreds of countries, and it felt like there was like a, a really powerful global movement against corporate globalization. And the next major mobilization that was to take place in the United States was scheduled for September 2001. Oh. And we formed a big coalition um, to oppose the FTAA and the IMF and the World Bank policies, as well as the Bush policies at the time. And I remember I was very actively working on, on a campaign against um, uh, child slavery in Africa, um, the high environmental and human costs of the cheap goods that were coming into the United States when September 11th happened. And well, when such as, September, uh, are you talking about the, uh, the raw materials that, uh, that the slaves in Africa are used for? Well, the, the kids are sold to the cocoa plantations, so a lot of the, the, the labor is slave labor, child slave labor, to produce the cocoa that goes into the, the Hershey bars and the Snickers bars and, you know, the chocolates that the kids buy and, and grown-ups eat as well uh, and, throughout and the country. <laughs> and a lot of people just simply are not aware of the, the trade conditions that exist and where... All the cheap stuff that floods the United States comes from, and who's being exploited, and what the environmental and the human costs are. So that was the campaign that we were going to do. And I remember 
getting together with other people who were saying, well, gee, you know, if we get rid of the IMF and the World Trade Center or the World Trade Organization, should we turn the buildings into daycare centers or, you know, something useful and constructive instead of looting so much of the world? But when September 11th happened, they immediately tried to rush through the Patriot Act, and it was mirrored in Canada in the U.K., in countries throughout the world, to basically criminalize dissent and relabel people who were anti-corporate um, or anti-government as terrorists. Well, and it made it much harder for people to organize across international boundaries. So you're, you're talking about a, a unified attempt by all these countries acting in unison, uh, seemingly spontaneously, to crack down on all their um, inter um, on, on all their civilian population. Right, right, right. And um, and I, I don't know if you you remember it, but um, after September 11th, one of the next major things to happen in New York City, in the wake of 9/11, was the World Economic Forum showed up there in January 2002. And there was another major protest against the World Economic Forum, and I couldn't help feeling it was like criminals coming back to the scene of the crime because they had so militarized New York City that the, they, they made it as difficult as possible for protesters to gather, to march, to demonstrate. They tried to keep them as far away from the World Economic Forum as possible. And you could just see that almost institutionalization of the police state in New York City. And to me, the, the, what, we, what we've seen over the last few decades has been the rise of these supranational uh, institutions which trump national sovereignty, and it seems that there's collusion amongst the global leaders um, who are working together to thwart um, th their own constitutions and national sovereignty or oh, any yeah. real input from citizens everywhere. They're like just selling out their the own FAA and NAFTA, uh, they make it very hard for states to protect themselves. And I think most recently what we saw, too, was with uh, the economic crisis that has been engineered and is probably the biggest uh, financial transference of wealth from the many to the few ever in, in world history. Uh, the, the Bush administration played a, a distinct role in calling on a, a national body, the OCC, to not allow state attorneys to protect their states um, oh, the office of the comptroller of the, lending practices that the, the office of the, of the comptroller of the currency right mm -hmm. exactly exactly and that, that's what um uh, oh what is, Elliot Spitzer uh, was uh, was gone after for because he was right. he's there trying to he was you know of course everybody all the all the politicians have have uh, skeletons in their closets but you know Elliot Spitzer just as you're talking about all the world leaders are selling out their own people well so are our own politicians and uh, that's right. how this consolidation is taking place it couldn't have happened in any other way but Elliot Spitzer thought that he could uh, speak out against. Um, uh, Bank of America and uh, declaring how the 
the uh, OCC wasn't, and, and other uh, attorney generals in other states um, other than Pennsylvania uh, were not um, allowed to go after um, these uh, predatory lending practices. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Right, right, precisely, precisely. Yeah, and and it's and it's just so, so surprising to me that you know sometimes when these people grow a conscience, when these uh, Congress critters or, or uh, so-called public servants grow a conscience, that they think that they can speak out and that they have a talent for deceiving, so they'll have a uh, some kind of a believability factor, and and it wears thin um, as the media just uh, degrades them or. You know, uh, just wears them down, basically. <laughs> That's the way well, I look at it. Yeah, and, and it's hard, too. Um, I, I think most politicians are compromised in order to get into the positions that they're in. I don't think there are very many politicians out there who aren't blackmailable or right, um, no easily. I, I think even Jane Harmon, who came out with that horrific legislation uh, to radicalize um, you know, thought, <laughs> and um, I, I, I can't even remember. It's the Homegrown Terrorism Act. Uh, the, the whole the whole acronym oh, and, right. and the length of that legislation. That, is, that was is the so uh, Violent Radicalization Act uh, that was being pushed by the ADL, um, who are they're associating homegrown terrorism and racism with 9/11 truthers. Right. And on the ADL's website, they uh, they were connecting right. AE or architects and in- engineers yeah. for 9/11 Truth, AE 911truth.org. And uh, the Simon Weisenthal Center, they uh, showed snuff films, um, and uh, as well as this uh, nine architects and engineers for 9-11 right. Truth website, in a presentation to congressmen um, right. that uh, militant Muslims, they're trying to make the assertion militant Muslim, jihadists, and Taliban websites right. were, you know, they're all lumping them together and saying that a moment, uh, bombing of Manhattan's coming soon. So you know, it's like, who are the real terrorists? How can they make these predictions with such clarity? Right, but but Harmon also was spied on by the NSC, and I think somebody wrote a brilliant article just saying, um, you know, who's terrorizing Congress? Who's in control here? And even even people who have done horrific things uh, for the benefit of a more oppressive state, like Jane Harmon, have also felt the whip or the lash or the stick. Um, and, you know, I, I really wonder sometimes... Who is in control? Who is frightening? Who, who's who's pulling the strings? Because um, it, it, we we see we see such moral bankruptcy in 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 the politicians, and and I, that's that's one reason that I actually you know ran for Congress is to raise some of the the taboo taboo issues and to allow myself to vote for somebody who I knew wasn't corrupt and crooked. <laughs> well, that, that's, uh, those are far, few and far between. <laughs> I mean, we, we have a few of them, uh, the Congress, a few congressmen who Ron Paul is winning over to uh, sign H.R. 1207 to audit the Federal Reserve, which is a start. It's, it's only a start. It, uh, I think we, yeah, of course, but if you, if you look, Chris, I, I mean, I, I love Ron Paul and a lot of the things he said I, I don't agree with him on every every single issue, but um, I, you know I did march demanding a congressional investigation of 9/11, and we did see the cover up from 
from day one and Bush and Cheney asking Daschle to limit the investigations and just have it be, uh, why were there intelligence failures? And then, and then because of the families, they were forced to have the 9-11 Commission, which they completely stacked, and they tried to have Henry Kissinger run the whole shebang um, until he was forced to step down because he couldn't Mm -hmm. reveal things. But then they used the 9-11 Commission to basically justify and sell Homeland Security. And I think within the the 9-11 Commission recommendations is also justification to attack Iran in the event Mm -hmm. of another false flag operation that anybody could stage at any time. It's it's really sad that... um, the the uh, the cover-ups and the investigations they usually try to co-opt them so that they continue to further this this militant corporate agenda that's that's the sad thing so I, what i worry about with the the auditing i think i think it's a good idea i think we should have transparency i should i think we should audit the fed but i'm afraid that um if if you have the Fed, audit the Fed, they'll say everything's hunky-dory and wonderful and we need more of the same. That's right. <laughs> because that's, that's basically been the, been the pattern when, when the, the government has a, has a tendency to investigate itself. I did, um, it, it, I was threatened with arrest from the local police when I was, I think, I, I, let me see, what year was it? I guess it wasn't, it was 2007. I wasn't running for Congress, but I was organizing lots of rallies and marches for impeachment. And so I was gathering signatures on a petition in my local park, and there was was an event, it was like a maypole dance, which was like a a neighborhood event with all the kids and everything. And I was just gathering signatures on my petition, and they threatened to uh, arrest me. And I, I thought, oh, God, you've got to be kidding. This is such a flagrant violation of my First Right Amendments. This is just totally outrageous. And I might have just gone ahead and gotten arrested just to make a political statement, because um, I've been arrested before for standing up for, you know, against unjust, horrific things that were happening. But that particular day, my son was coming home from college, and I had to pick up friends from the airport, and I really didn't have time to get arrested. I had planned on being arrested that day, and I, I never even dreamed that the police would be so outrageous as to try to arrest me. And um, as it turned out, I, I have a, a great friend here who is a DA, or who, who used to be a public defender, excuse me, um, and and he did volunteer to represent me, and we did go through all the painful bureaucratic process of having a police investigation of the incident, and the police, of course, completely exonerated themselves, and so they did nothing wrong. They were flawless and perfect well, and wonderful. You know, it's a good um, thing about that when you have those investigations, actually, that you, you're able to get carried out, is that if you're able to document that they committed a... a well, they violated your rights under color of law, civil rights damages, or you know that that they could be prosecuted for, or something else. Then, if you catch them in uh, the internal investigation trying to cover it up, well, whoever covers it up also becomes part of that suit. So not only can you sue the officer who uh, who uh, broke your rights or trampled your rights, you can also sue the the police department and the city or the county department if if that applies for trying to cover it up because they've become part of the conspiracy. 
So that's well, uh, something I think to keep in mind. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I let it go at, at that point. I didn't, I didn't. That, that's the challenge, though. I mean, we have so many um, horrific violations of our Constitution, as well as international law, uh, on every scale. And, I know, you've got to pick and choose your fights. You know, it's hard fights. to, you have to pick and choose your battles. What's, what's winnable, what's doable, where you, have the, where you have the time and where you have the energy. And I, I appreciate, I, we talked earlier today, and Chris, you were telling me about knowing the law and, and just telling those officers and the policemen who harass you, spelling it out for them, and you've been able to avoid having them arrest you and and lie to you mm-hmm. and trick you and and shut you up it and helps. and i've had i've had encounters encounters like that too and i i think it's really valuable to know the to, to know the law to stand up for your rights and it is sometimes really important to take the cases to court but it, it can also be it, it can also be very draining and and i i do have a few kids and uh, a nonprofit organization, and I, I keep pretty busy. Mm-hmm. So I just I, I just uh, the legal stuff. I, I I don't have the the stomach or the time or the energy to to deal with. Yeah, the, the, I the neither do I. I generally don't either. But I you know like I I know that uh, if if I don't give the warning, uh, like I I've told you about a title. You just. Uh, basically tell an officer who, like in my last incident, uh, where I had a camcorder and and uh, the officer understood I was uh, also transmitting the footage over the internet and, and basically uh, I could see that he and another officer were trying to, um, were discussing what kind of charges to, or what kind of what kind of crime I might have committed, <laughs> they couldn't decide. And, uh, and so I, I said, uh, if you're thinking about cooking up charges against me, then I wanted to ask you, do you know what Title 42 of the U.S. Code is having to do with civil rights damages? Um, and he said no. And, and well, then I explained that it has to do with civil rights damages committed under color of law. And uh, it, uh, it involves the Atter- U.S. Attorney General uh, so it can make for a very difficult situation, and I don't say it very—I don't say it confrontationally. I just say it very coldly and and matter-of-factly. And uh, within 30 seconds, as that last um, incident, uh, I've been released. When but uh, you were—you were also lucky. Think about the protesters who were in Miami when the FTA mucky mucks who were trying to push it through. Agent provocateurs. Met. Yeah, and the. Um, I remember we were protesting the $87 billion that they wanted to give for the occupation of Afghanistan and Iraq. And within that $87 billion was money earmarked to settle civil suits for the um, violation of people's civil rights in the United States. And they tried what they called the Miami model to just brutalize the, uh, and preemptively like go in and attack the activists before they even left their 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 organizing spaces, even even the medics who were like just medics, and they and the police invaded, they assaulted, they brutalized. I have friends who were who were hurt by that, and and it, it wasn't just in Miami too. I mean, later at the Republican National Convention in New York City, in St. Paul, Minnesota, for the last Republican. Convention again, preemptive r- r- arrest. These these almost random 
horrific violence. Oh, running uh, into people with bikes and pinning people up and just attacking them yeah, randomly. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and, it, and what it is, is it's like we're, we're sending a message to Americans. You, you try to protest um, powerful folks, and you're going to get your skulls cracked. And, oh, yeah. and we're going to be really merciless and brutal, and we're going to make you feel pain and hurt you. And, you know, maybe you might get some damages, but it's going to be a painful process. You don't want to come here. And, and I think it is these, these fear tactics. The same thing happened. Um, we were uh, protesting uh, the, the G8 summit in Genoa, Italy, and they killed one of the protesters. But oh. it, most people were like totally, totally nonviolent. In fact, I think there were hundreds of thousands of people who who painted their hands white to say, you know, we are nonviolent, peaceful protesters. And and they had the the aged provocateurs. They used horrific violence against people. Um, well, and they... and it was it was a it was a very uh, systemic uh, way of frightening and suppressing the the large protests just this this rampant brutal violence as well as trying to control the message to paint the 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 the, the protesters as terrorists as violent people and and to completely control the media that left and i think it's wonderful that um, that you called and that you're doing this radio show because i think what what gives me great hope is that because the corporate media uh, is so Orwellian these days and serving corporate interest at, at uh, and pe- people know that something is deeply, deeply wrong. Uh, there's mm-hmm. never been a greater loss of confidence in major institutions and government as there is now. And I hope that more and more people will become active at every level of government to reclaim um, reclaim our country, reclaim our lives. And and uh, these reporters, uh, you're right, they are getting alarmed. They, they are thinking that, I, I can see that some of them, um, you know, reporters or call screeners to some talk shows I've called into, they, they're alarmed by the fact that uh, they're part of an operation, a propagandist operation, and that's why they'll allow somebody like me to get on or help me to rephrase the, the question or the comment uh, so I get on to talk to the talk show host rather than be, um, you know, disallowed. But um, these people, these protesters you're talking about in the media who are complicit in um, in um, demonizing protesters who only want to earn a fair wage or, or earn uh, what they're worth, um, you know, gain full value for our property, which includes our labor, uh, and and they're just being demonized. And these cops and the and the the media who are going along with it are not aware that they're they're being used as pawns for their own uh, suicide because. Look at an officer, for example, who will pull over somebody and, and uh, earn generally over 300 grand per year in traffic tickets while he's earning about 10 times less than that himself. So, you know, he's obviously a pawn for a parasitical system. And if he feels like it's okay to just pull people over because he has a quota, well, he's going to go and figure that, well, he has a, perhaps a, a duty to do and, and uh, suppressing some kind of dissent, and maybe he can be recruited to do worse and worse things. And then you have people bashing skulls and 
pulling ladies by their hair and, and macing women. And, uh, you know, there's so many examples of this from, you know, day to day. You could spend the, the whole show talking about, about a, uh, authorities uh, abusing their authority. But. Well, I think, I think what, is, what is really important is also just to figure out uh, clever and clever ways to reassert, you know, our sovereignty and our rights. I mean, if you, if you don't, that's one reason I started the listing project. It was, it was just in the wake of September 11th when people were afraid to protest, and I thought it was really important to be out on the streets and um, to just make sure we didn't lose those rights. <laughs> and, and, uh, to, uh, I, and, and I think what has happened, too, is that there's lots and lots of really very peaceful weekly demonstrations that don't necessarily um, make the press but it's it's people to people connections, people educating other people. Exactly, that um, makes the biggest difference. So that and keeping more um, eyes on the local people, so that they to try to prevent the most outrageous grievances. Um, and I think one reason I, I when I when I started working on the monetary system and I realized how horrific it was. Um, that was that was quite a while ago. That was like in 1993, 1994, and I and I was nursing a baby. I had these two little kids under five years old, and and I, you know, I've I read this this book called Debt Virus: A Compelling Solution to the World's Debt Problems. That was just very very compelling, um, and. And I became a very strong advocate for community currencies, basically because uh, I didn't think I could change it in any other way. But I thought if people um, were had had some education about what money was, how it was created, how it worked, that we could move away from the debt-based monetary system and, and create a, an alternative. Um, more democratic, honest, functional system, and that one way to do it was just to simply raise consciousness. And community currencies at, at the time seemed like the best tool, and it was a very legal, creative, uh, community-building effort uh, at the at the same time. I think right now, with the economic crisis, it will soon become. A, a necessity for survival for cities, perhaps states, perhaps entire countries, is to to reinvent money from the grassroots up uh, in, in order to to meet people's needs. Because we know that the the dominant money is is not <laughs> is not doing that. The imposed right, the de facto money, the the de facto fiat, debt based uh, Federal Reserve note. That's right, and um, and I wanted yeah. to talk to you some I think, more. About I think one of the the most important things I learned about money is that when they talk about what money is, of the different definitions, a store of value, a medium of exchange, the one thing they don't say is that it's the most powerful tool of empire. I think next to brute mu- uh, military force, and when you have a debt based monetary system, the cost of money is so high. That if, if if you have this transfer of wealth from the, the people who create the money and loan it into existence, and the people who have to have to um, buy the money, rent the money, to, to to function, to live, to survive, and 
it's basically half the price of goods and services goes to to those interest costs, those hidden interest costs, and it's it's a direct you know sucking from from the eighty percent to the to the twenty percent who who create the money, um, and then with and because there's just all the money in creation has been created as debt. There's not enough money to pay it back. We need like 40 or 50 planets to pay off all the debts. And then, and then there would be no money. Oh, so <laughs> but, it's mathematically but because impossible. of that, the people who have the money can buy up all the stuff really cheap <laughs> because there's just never enough money to do that. And that's what we're seeing right now. Because of the tightening of credit, it's the guys who are creating the money, giving it to their their crooked friends that are able to buy up the the, the, the suffering banks, maybe the honest banks, maybe the local local community serving banks. And the ones who and, didn't and make bad investments. Stuff. Plus all that land, all those houses. How many is it now? One out of eight families is experiencing foreclosure and can't pay? Yeah, in danger of foreclosure. I think it's one in 20 house, households are in... And, in uh, California, it's worse. <laughs> Here, it's, it's it's more chronic. It's really bad. My and and the the fascist uh, state, the the corporate uh, own state. Uh, Mussolini said fascism should more appropriately be called corporatism. That corporations own the government, and um, and that's inter- it's it's interesting that that's embodied in a lot of our symbology. Uh, the Roman fasces, the the rods that are that are bound and. Um, sometimes with an axe in the middle, that, that's a symbol of gelding. And on both sides of the U.S. House of Representatives, you'll see it. It's on uh, a lot of uh, courthouses throughout the country. Um, it's under the Lincoln Memorials, um, under Lincoln's hands at the Lincoln Memorial. Um, they're the Roman fasces right there. And, uh, you know, Bush and uh, Bush Jr., I mean, and, and so many of these crazed radio talk show commentators uh, use this term, Islamo-fascist, so uh, I, I would ask, who are, who are we to call another uh, ethnicity or yeah. religion fascist? Actually, one thing, uh, one of the one of the banking systems that's actually holding up better than our own is the Islamic banks, because there's a lot of the Islamic banks who don't believe in usury. So right. they didn't get into the exotic derivatives and the credit default swaps. So they weren't infected by the the. the <laughs> Our, our our uniquely American uh, criminal um, toxic assets, which were sort of forced on other countries, and they were triple rated, you know, triple A rated. And it, I think much of the world is extremely pissed off at the United States because they not only have destroyed our banking system, but they've also um, threatened the entire global structure. Although. It's the it's the Fed it's a Fed's fault and the, well the owners of the Fed and and so you have the, these two different uh, competing banking systems the Islamic system which is based on a, a flat fee and then you have the Rothschild uh, Federal Reserve system that um, the International Bank of Settlements owns by the way the, these usurious national banks that destroy nations and. Uh, and so you you have these two competing uh, systems that uh, that that um, the Islamic system is is doing just fine by itself. Although they did have some of their investments and they're a little bit affected by the dollar, but not to such a great degree. And and it's interesting that uh, you know they could be used as an example, um, kind of similar to the 
uh, Renaissance when usury was not allowed in most of Europe uh, and see how well they did when they had such low technology, but they were able to, uh, you know, a man was able to work three or four months out of the year and then just uh, go to school, become an apprentice or, or uh, maybe go fishing, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, that's what the, why the Renaissance became so... Um, you know, full of art and, and invention is because there were so many, um, so many uh, artisans available as they had so much free time and so much uh, uh, exploration of thought went on that because people weren't being parasitized by a, a usurious debt-based fiat money system. And now look at us today. We have such high technology. We have washers and dryers and cars and, and so much uh, technology that we thought uh, where we were promised in the 50s would help relieve us and uh, of, of so many of our chores. But, you know, it, it, this this collapse of the dollar, the Federal Reserve note more appropriately, it's it's the, Fed of the, it's the Fed's fault, and it, it, we don't deserve what has been met on us. We, we don't uh, deserve to have um, be impoverished, impoverished. We need to go with some other type of a, a system like, um, like your communitycurrency.org talks well, about. Well, actually, um, a friend of mine just made a, a great film, and it's called Life on the Edge of a Bubble. Um, blowing the American dream, <laughs> and it's it's a really good look at sort of the history of the United States and and how we've had these panics and depressions and bubbles almost on a every every twenty years, almost like clockwork, even even before the Federal Reserve. Although I I, I must admit I think the Federal Reserve is terrible and that we should abolish it. Or, but but I also think that the United States, <clears throat> uh, before the colonies broke away from England and de- the Declaration of Independence, it was really um, a, a hub for monetary experimentation, because the England and Holland, in order to try to control the colonies and just use them so that they could extract resources from them, they didn't want them to trade amongst themselves or to develop manufacturing, uh, so they denied them hard currency. Wasn't that and, like 1764? And the learned the trick of um, credit, uh, creating credit, uh, mutual credit amongst themselves, and they created it as a government. I mean, as the local governments created it to, to meet the public needs, and they've discovered they didn't even need... Um, to levy taxes because the, the, the paper money worked so well it would cover the cost of the administrative cost and it was useful for everybody. In fact, Pennsylvania, where there was like peace in every home. Uh, it was, it, so they, it, that was one of the reasons Benjamin Franklin said for the American Revolution when the, um, the British tried to absolutely forbid and not allow them to print their paper money. Right. He, he wrote in his journals that uh, had, it, had it only been for the abuse of the colonials by the, the troops or the um, unrepresented, you know, the taxation on the tea without representation, well, there probably wouldn't have been a revolution had it not for them right. um, around 1764 trying to uh, stop us or st- stop the colonists from trading amongst themselves freely. Right. But, but there was a concerted effort... Also, in the aftermath of the Revolutionary War, when they, when they were writing the Constitution, there was a big battle between Jefferson and Hamilton. Hamilton was on the side of, he was thinking, we want a strong federal government, we want bankers on our side, we've got to 
put something in for them and yeah, the give them a guy. national bank he's and the a national debt would be a boon for the country because then they would align their interests with the government and that was his thinking and Thomas Jefferson is like no no we need independent farmers we don't want that he was very much opposed to it and and so the constitution did not allow states to create money but it didn't um it didn't specify who was to create the money. Congress could regulate coin, but it didn't. It didn't specify exactly when the, where the money creation powers were. So there were several national banks that that came into existence over the American history, and there were different presidents also who tried to have exert the right of the federal government creating the money instead of private banks creating the money. Um, and that's part of our American history, which ha- has been suppressed and lost to a great degree. But um, if, if Congress you know, exercised its right to create money and did not allow the private banks to create money, then the government um, would probably... Uh, uh, be owned more by the people than by the banks. At at this moment in time, since the private banks who create money, they have been able to put their guys in office who serve them. So you actually have the bankers running the government for the interest of bankers so they can make more money. Exactly. And, and, and I think this is where, you know, we have to sort of reclaim our power, reclaim the money, reclaim our government, so that money isn't the, the master of humanity, but, but a servant um, to, to the people to, to, and, and to life. And I think that that's really the, the whole thrust of the, the World Social Forum was looking at another world as possible. You know, if we didn't have the whole global economy based on war, which is the most lucrative business on the planet, uh, mm. serving the interests of a corporate few to make, you know, this, this tiny few to make control over everyone else. Uh, if we could use it to just heal the planet and to, to serve people, that would be, you know, infinitely, infinitely better. Unfortunately, what we, what we see now is this um, incredible, I, um, the debt-based monetary system, every empire which has allowed just this 2 or 3% to control the vast uh, majority of resources has generally destroyed its ecological base. And that's how all the empires in the past have fallen. And unfortunately, that's the whole planet right now. So I, I think uh, that's, that's one of the things that we just have to address. We can't have that tremendous concentration of wealth. Uh, because the, the people who are um, you know, trying to maintain control, they're so distant. They just don't see all the pain, all the suffering, all the devastation that, that they're wrecking. I don't well, think. Well, the, the fiat-based money system, wouldn't you say that depends on, um, on vacuuming up more resources and, and uh, more, uh, and basically enslaving people um, you know, right. into posterity? And, and it's even, it, at this point, even the, even, uh, the billionaires are complaining, <laughs> because what we have is this financial cannibalization, where more and more of the money 
um, it, 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 the, the rich are so extreme. They, they need places to speculate. They, they, they can't be content, like, say, with honest living, honest earnings. They're, they're so used to these really gross returns that, that you get from the drug trafficking and from military uh-huh. operations and arms sales. And, and so this really hot money that is expecting these giant returns, it, it goes into where they can make the most money. And it's in almost literally destroying uh, corporations, looting corporations, looting governments. Even when we were protesting the IMF and the World Bank in Washington, D.C., there's the International Finance Corporation. It doesn't get a lot of press. But what it is, it's, it's part of the World Bank Group. And what it does is it basically teaches people how to privatize uh, third world countries and rip off all their assets, just strip them. Shows you how to, you know, take over their land, take over their water, take over their electricity, and squeeze as much money and cash from it as you can. And unfortunately, the, the, with this giant amount of speculative money and the ease of moving it around the globe with all the new electronic uh, communications and so forth, we've seen uh, the, the, the collapse of Russia, Brazil, Mexico, the, the Southeast Asian tigers and so forth. And the same guys, the same guys who knocked out Russia, who privatized Russia, who looted and, and post, put the, the oligarchs in place, those guys... Those are guys looting the United States right now. It's, it's, it's Sumner's, it's Geithner, all those guys, the same guys who did it to Russia, they're doing it to the United States right now. And the stock reverts they back to... <laughs> you know, well, the stock reverts no back allegiance. to... Whenever, There's no national loyalties. It's like whenever, the whenever necrophiliacs the, against everybody else. And the those, those Russian the people who, who if they can't if they can't own it or control it, they're willing to kill it. You know, yeah, and, the, the, and we're the biophiliacs, the people who love life and, and just want to live. Yeah, they, well, that's what they commit. They commit wars of uh, not against humanity so much as wars. Uh, I mean, crimes against life, uh, war crimes, or, or crimes against life, not just humanity. But uh, mentioning those Russian oligarchs, the every time one of them uh, gets busted by Putin, um, I know that uh, sixteen uh, last time I checked uh, out of the eighteen were arrested had been arrested, and the the stock just reverts back to a Rothschild interest. So <laughs> it's, it's interesting, like you say, that it's all the same ones they, they fund both sides and no matter who wins well they get to control them um and and the fact is that i mean like you you brought up the world trade organization you brought up the military contractors war profiteers and and you, we talk about the federal reserve system these are all areas that the congress has delegated their authority away to a right. private interest on so they, uh, I don't know, it's like on autopilot, I suppose. The country's running on autopilot where the company, company, uh, multinational corporations are vying or competing for control or reins, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the only hope really is raising uh, the consciousness of the American people to reclaim their government. And I, I do think that, you know, if you look at the, the voting records of Congress, uh, there's so many of them that have just behaved in, in treasonous ways. We should. There, I did form. Uh, I, I was part of the Clean Sweep Coalition um, that was just trying to, you know, oust the the vast majority of Congress. And I, I think at, at this point, you know, we really need to do that. There are 
a few good congressmen in there who are principled, but there's just not enough of them. Uh, like, um, actually, uh, my son, my oldest one, uh, he's decided to study economics, and he's in, and is in his third year right now, and he, he's got a job as an intern for Dennis Kucinich. And Congratulations. Yeah, wow. and Dennis's wife, Elizabeth, actually met Dennis when she was a lobbyist for the American Monetary Institute, and they have done some great work. Um, you should have Stephen Zarlenga on your show. He's the one who mm-hmm. wrote The Lost Science of Money, The Mythology of Money, The History of Power, which is the most outstanding book I've read on the history of money. And he, his institute, they hold a, an annual conference um, on, on money uh, every year. And Dennis has been to several of his conferences and has spoken out very strongly uh, against the Federal Reserve and also for monetary reform in Congress. So he's like one of our best allies and champions in Congress right now, but we need we need more more people like that. And and poor Dennis, you know, when he was speaking out for impeachment, and he was getting so much harassment. Uh, I'm sure that they were threatening him too. That, oh yeah. Well, um, did you know that and, his and brother? The press, they didn't cover him. It was he was like the non-existent candidate. The non. I don't know if you ever saw um, Michael Moore's movie Fahrenheit 9/11. Yeah, I did. But I, th- I thought the most moving part of that film was all the black Congress people who spoke up for the disenfranchised voters. And I had never heard those Congress people speak. I, I mm-hmm. had no idea that they had actually said anything or, or done anything. And, and our, I think our, our press is, you know, is, is almost as reprehensible and criminally responsible for the state of the country. That, but they didn't even you know, cover impeachment. Especially with 9-11, people still don't know the basic ABCs. Uh, I mean, half the population probably still don't know about Building Number 7 that well, it existed, let alone that pe- it was people demolished are, with people explosives. Are <laughs> and they, just, they just don't know. They haven't even heard of it. There are quite a few people, though, that really the polls show that they're catching on. It's amazing that... Uh, there are polls, um, Zogby polls and uh, CBS polls that uh, I, one third think that, uh, the, oh gosh, I'll have to pull this up according to a Zogby poll. Um, one third of Americans think that, uh, that let's see, the, this is CNN showbiz tonight, Zogby polls, uh, New York Times yeah, polls. And, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think there is an awakening happening. It's, it's just. Um, it's quiet. It, it's, for me, it's 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 very very slow. And the, and the question has always been, um, I, I think Cheney, like Napoleon, believes that you don't have to suppress the truth as long as you can delay it until it doesn't matter. And this is this is the question. Like even even nine eleven, um, there's more things that are coming out now about yeah. how what a pack of lies the the report was. Oh, but, constantly. But, Even but, more research. but the Congress still, they're, they're, when the Democratic Congress came into power, the first thing they did was pass the bogus 9-11 Commission recommendations. And we see this continuity of um, a Democratic president doing Bush's, following Bush's policies, you know, 
more than Bush could have gotten away with. It just, it's just outrageous continuity of government, as far as I can see. Um, there hasn't been any significant change other than window dressing. That, that, I mean, I, I'm really glad they planted a little organic garden on the White House lawn, but they, they also pushed horrific legislation to force GMOs on Africa, and nobody knows about that, and they don't know about H.R. Um, 1875, which is basically homeland security for organic farmers that doesn't distinguish between the giant factory farmers or those of us in our backyards, you know, trying to raise uh, plants from organic seeds um, and, and you know, sell the produce at a, at a, on, a, on a local food stand. It's just, well, it sounds like what they did to Iraq. They wanted to make sure that they could only yeah. deal with Monsanto's right. GMO seeds. And right. they don't right. want us to be independent. Everybody right. needs to understand that that's the right. point, is that even in the National Geographic, Monsanto and uh, 2000 uh, bragged that by uh, the year 2050 that they would own the entire biosphere, which is to say the entire planet, that they would have yeah. contaminated with their uh, genetically modified seeds. And that's a whole other yeah. story, but it's something that needs to everybody needs to preserve their uh, seed integrity and not yeah. go with hybrid seeds. Uh, in yeah. the last few minutes that we have here, uh, the call-in line is 441-3000 in Pinellas, 727-441-3000 and uh, toll-free 866 866- 826-1340. And uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, some more about uh, your website, communitycurrency.org, and the different uh, local or private currencies that um, that you have listed there. Uh, some of them have been in existence for quite a while, haven't they? Yeah, and the oldest one is the Weir system in Switzerland, which has been around for like 60, 70, 80 years, and that's one reason I think the Swiss economy is so is so stable. And it's a cooperative amongst businesses, but now I think ordinary people are able to participate as well. Um, but there are many, many different models. And one reason I, I formed a coalition against the FTAA was it, it seemed like it was the end run of corporations to try to make it illegal for people to create community currencies. And in places like Japan, uh, it's illegal to have community currencies for, for goods. You could have community currencies for services, but not for actual stuff. So they've they've limited it, and the United States we still have that that freedom, and I think it, it needs to be exercised. Um, but I also do believe that because of the current crisis, because I, I, almost anybody can figure out how corrupt these guys are, there's there's this rare opportunity to um, take back the power to create money away from banks and to give it to governments that serve people. Now, I, I don't think I would trust the current crop of politicians because they are, you know, they're in the service of the banks and, and the military. Um, well, we so, need to keep the wealth local and keep lab- labor and uh, local material uh, local to show the inherent value uh, that we have for each other's um, artisan manufactured products that we can appreciate each other's uh, artistry on. Well, Carol Brulier, I, I appreciate you joining us tonight. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll join us again. Her website is communitycurrency.org, communitycurrency.org. This is Chris Steiner, and thank you for listening to Liberation Station.